You can take the word of God with me. We'll go in our Bibles to Paul's second epistle to Timothy, chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. If you've ever attended a funeral, uh, you know that it is a very sobering event. And I haven't been to many, but whenever I have attended a funeral, you look around the room and, and you see what the deceased individual left behind, uh, the lives that uh, that person touched, the, the people that they loved, uh, the memories that they gave to others. But it's very striking, no matter whose funeral you, you may attend, no matter how that person lived, whether it was good or bad, whether they had a positive or a negative impact on people, at that moment, in that funeral, there is nothing that that individual can do to ch- change any of their, their life. Their, their impact has already been made, their life has already been lived, and it's too late to change it. And I don't know exactly how this works. Uh, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, we read about a cloud of witnesses, and we don't know for sure if that means that people in heaven can see what's going on down here or what all that entails. But I would like you to imagine at the outset of this message uh, that you're in heaven, that your life has ended, and that you're viewing your own funeral. And I wonder if, if any of us were to die uh, tomorrow or anytime soon, and we were watching our own funeral from heaven. I wonder if the way we're currently living, we may look on that funeral and would we have any regret? Would we say, I, I wish I would have done this, or I, I wish I would have listened to this? Will there be any regret? Because at that moment, when, you, when your life is over, whether, whether it ends in death or whether the Lord Jesus returns, we know that he could return any moment. It'll be too late to change any of it. And I wonder if we will have any regrets. Here in 2 Timothy, we basically have the deathbed epistle of the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. Uh, he's sentenced to be executed. And in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And then in verse 9, he tells Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Why is there this urgency? Because the Apostle Paul knows that he doesn't have a lot of time left. That he is going to die perhaps any day. But the beautiful thing about this last epistle of the Apostle Paul is that he has no regrets. No, he wasn't a perfect man. No one besides the Lord Jesus was perfect. Of course, if you look back to the time before he was saved, I'm sure he would have wished that he hadn't been persecuting Christians and, and different things that happened to him before he got saved. But from the moment that Christ saved him till this This day when he's writing this letter to Timothy, he can look back on his life and he doesn't have regrets. And he can say with all confidence in chapter 1 verse 12, he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. I'm in prison. I'm going to be executed. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And then at the end, near the end of the book, he says in chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And yes, he's in a, what would seem like a shameful position being a prisoner. Because he has lived for the Lord Jesus, he has nothing to be ashamed about. He, he has no regrets. And he can look forward to confidence with his life being over with no regrets. And here in this letter, as he's writing to his son in the faith, to Timothy, he, he's writing from a heart of love. He, he's conscious of the fact that his separation from Timothy has caused great sorrow. You read that in verse 4 of chapter 1. He knows that Timothy is going through a hard time. And so from a heart of love, he is urging Timothy to be faithful and to live in such a way that he can finish his life the same way as the Apostle Paul with no regrets. And as we are gathered here tonight to hear from God's word, our Heavenly Father has that same desire for every single one of us. He wants us to live every day of our lives from henceforth so that we won't have any regrets. And you may feel like you're young and you've got your whole life ahead of you, but, but let me remind you that life is but a vapor, that nothing is guaranteed, that you could die on the way home tonight, and I hope that you will take heed to the word that is given you tonight and begin living in a way that you will have no regrets. So with that in mind, we're going to read chapter 1 together. We'll read it responsively. I'll read verse 1. If you can read together verse 2, so on and so forth, all the way through the chapter, and so if I could get the men, especially Pastor Mackay here up front, and then uh, Brother Josh Provito and Brother JB are kind of in the middle of the back there. If you guys could stay together with Pastor Mackay and read as one voice. But I'll begin in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, and then you'll read verse 2. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of the eaten prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel, according to the power of God. Who hath saved us, and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began.
Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And how many times I have sought him with tears and with well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Uh, we thank you that you have revealed to us who you are and how we can have a relationship with you and how we can live a life pleasing to you. And we thank you that you are our loving Heavenly Father and that everything that you communicate to us from this book comes from a heart of love and you want what's best for us. And Lord, I, I thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and, and for this letter and we pray that in these next few moments, as we look at this passage, your Holy Spirit uh, would guide the tongue of this preacher to say exactly what you once said, nothing more and nothing less. We know that without you, we can do nothing, and so we ask for your help, uh, knowing that this would all be futile uh, without your Spirit at work. We pray that you give us ears to hear, to receive what you have for us, uh, work in our hearts, uh, that, that our wills would be moved uh, to change in response to your word. And Lord, we ask that Christ would be glorified in this time and your people would be drawn closer to him. Lord, please bless the preaching of your word. And I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts and help us all to live in such a way that when our time is up, whether the Lord Jesus returns or our life ends in death, we pray that you would work in all our lives, that we would live so that we don't have to have any regrets. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. By no means are we going to attempt uh, any uh, exhaustive treatment of this passage, but I would like to give you simply three keys to a life with no regrets. Three keys from this passage to a life with no regrets. Number one, you want to live a life with no regrets? You want to be looking on at your funeral and, and not be ashamed and be able to rejoice in all that God did graciously in and through your life? Then number one, embrace the will of God. Embrace the will of God. You'll notice verse one. This is how he begins his letter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. We've talked about this before. Uh, but God's will or God's plan, his purpose for Paul's life was that he would be an apostle, that he would be a witness of the resurrected Lord Jesus 
and spend the whole of his life declaring the gospel message, declaring the fact that Jesus of Nazareth died for the sins of the world and rose from the grave and is now at the Father's right hand and he's returning any moment. It was God's will that the Apostle Paul spend his life preaching that message as a representative, as an ambassador or witness for Christ. But you'll notice in this passage that God's will for Timothy, even though he was not an official apostle uh, like Paul, God's will was the same really for Timothy in many ways as it was for Paul. Notice in verse 8, Paul is urging Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the gospel. Nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us. So Paul is including Timothy with him, who has saved us and called us within holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So Paul is saying, the same calling that I have, God has called you to the same thing, Timothy. It's a holy calling. That reminds me of, uh, of where the scripture says that we are called to be saints. We are called to be a holy people reflecting the image of our holy God. You know, from the very beginning, that's been God's will for humanity. That we would reflect him. That we would point back to him. That we would glorify him. And one of the best verses that summarizes God's will for every Christian, not just apostles, not just uh, called pastors, but every Christian, Colossians 3, verse 17, God tells us, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means no matter what we're doing, we're doing it as representatives of the Lord Jesus to bring him glory. We're familiar with 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. So even if your calling, even if God's will for your life is not necessarily to be an apostle, there are no apostles today, no one who has witnessed the resurrected Lord in the flesh, or even though maybe you, you may not be a Timothy, God's will for your life as a Christian is for you to know Christ personally and for you to make him known. It's that simple. Every Christian, God's desire for you is that you would know Christ personally, that he would be real to you, that he wouldn't just be words on a page or lyrics to a song, but he would be a real person with whom you interact every single day, that you would know him and that you would make him known. God's will is that we could say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21, or to say in Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That is God's will for us. God's will is not for you to try to become the best version of yourself because that will never bring glory to God. That will never bring salvation to others. God's will for you 
is to yield yourself to the Lord Jesus and to let him live through you and to let him bring glory to the Father through you. Why is this so important? Well, the Apostle Paul, he he says in verse 11 that he is a teacher of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were all non-Jews. So really there he's saying a teacher of all lost people throughout the world. And it's so essential that we embrace the will of God for our lives because there are people all around us who need to know God. And we are, are the Lord Jesus' body on this earth. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his representatives. That is God's will for us, for us to represent the Lord Jesus in everything that we do. But could I ask you this evening, have you embraced the will of God? Is this more than a theory to you? Is this more than something that's just talked about in a sermon? And is this the reality of your daily existence that when you wake up every morning, I am a representative of the Lord Jesus. I am not my own. This is not my life. This is his life that he wants to live through me. Is that the way we live? Have we embraced the will of God? I wonder how many of us have watched the movie Cars. You can attest, you've seen the movie Cars, you raise your hand. One of my favorite movies as a kid growing up. But you'll remember in that movie that Lightning McQueen gets stranded in this podunk town. And because he tears up the road in the town, he, he is forced to remain there until he personally fixes the road. So it's a hilarious sight. You have this, this, this world-renowned race car going through a street, fixing it. So he, he, he's plowing off the, the old pavement, and then he's, he, he's dragging this, this huge machine, I don't even know what it's called, that paves the road. It's a hilarious image. You have a race car paving a road, not doing what he was designed to do. And you remember in the movie, he's miserable. Why? Because he wasn't designed to pave roads. He was designed to race. And there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians that are doing good things. Paving roads, that's a good thing. We need that. And there are a lot of good things that we could do. A lot of careers that could be pursued. A lot of, a lot of tracks you could go down educationally that are good. That, that may bring some good to this world. But if you're not living for the purpose for which God designed you, you're going to be out of place. And it's no different than a race car dragging a paving machine. And and that is the circumstance of every Christian who doesn't embrace the will of God, who doesn't wake up every day recognizing I'm not my own. I'm the Lord Jesus. I am to be his vessel. Uh, My job is to let him live through me. And until we embrace the will of God, we're going to be miserable and out of place. If you want to live a life with no regrets, embrace the will of God. Number two, exercise the gift of God. Exercise the gift of God. Now that word exercise, that's just to help you remember the outline if it's helpful, but the way the scripture puts it is much better. Verse 6 of our text in 2 Timothy 1. He's telling Timothy, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. That word stir up, it it literally means to rekindle. So you have the idea here that there's there's a fire 
that is slowly dying. You can, you can see some embers there, but there's not a vibrant flame. And you, you stir up the fire. You add some wood to it. You, you rekindle it. You get it going again. And, and that is the idea here. It's not that Timothy didn't have any fire there, but it's that he needed to stir it up. He needed to rekindle it. He needed to exercise it. But what exactly did he need to stir up? What well, says stir up the gift of God? You know what the gift of God is in the life of every Christian? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. He's the one who, who gives us everlasting life. He is the one who, who allows Christ to live in us. Galatians 4 verse 6 says, Because you're sons, sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There's no greater gift than that, Christian. The fact that God has given you his very son, not only to die for your sins and rise again, but to live in your heart by his spirit. That's the gift of God. Christ living in you, the hope of glory, as the Apostle Paul puts it. But you and I have a responsibility every day to stir up the gift of God, to rekindle that fire. 1 Timothy 4 verse 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christ living in us, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now the Bible talks about spiritual gifts and it's worth studying and we need to know our particular areas of giftedness. But Christian, what you need to understand is that the gift is the Holy Spirit and he has been given you to enable you to minister to the body of Christ and to carry out the work of representing Christ on this earth. And God has given this gift to every man. And we all have a responsibility to exercise this gift within the church and within our community. But I wonder how many of us are stirring up this gift. It doesn't happen by accident that Christ is manifested in your life and that his will is performed in you. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to require you and I taking seriously the responsibility to stir up the gift of God. Now we're talking about cars. You can have a car and it can be, it can be brand new, a whole lot newer than mine. It can be full of gas. It can have nothing wrong with it in the world. But until you turn the key in the ignition and fire up that engine, until that gas begins to burn and explode, you're not going anywhere. You know, we have a lot of Christians. Nothing wrong with the car. It's been equipped with everything it needs to get down the road, to, to, to race down the road where, where God has led it. It's in perfect condition. God has equipped it with everything it needs. It has the gas, the fire, the Holy Spirit. But there are far too many Christians not turning the key. Not getting that fire going. You know, you think about this illustration of cars, they require maintenance. You got to change the oil. You have to fill it up with gas periodically. You've got to get it checked from time to time. You get a flat tire, you need to get it fixed. And it's the same with our Christian lives. 
They require constant maintenance, constant diligence in our part to stir up the gifts of God. And it does not happen by accident. You know what happens by default in our lives? We don't go anywhere for the Lord. We live in the flesh and we're like cars that are either having to be pushed or towed down the road. We're not going anywhere in the power of God's spirit. We're not accomplishing anything for the Lord. That is our default setting. How do you stir up the gifts of God? You know, it's really simple. There's several simple ways that we stir up the gifts of God. Attending church. Being in God's house to, to sing the songs, to pray with others, to, to hear God's word preached. That stirs up the gift of God. That gets the fire going. But you know what? You can sit in a church service and hear the word of God. But if you don't take the word of God home and apply it, it won't do you any good. It's like filling up the car with more gas, but until you make the decision to turn the key, you're still not going anywhere. Or daily devotions, reading God's word, spending time in prayer, that stirs up the gift. Making an effort every week to, to reach lost souls for Christ, that stirs up the gift. Serving at our church, that stirs up the gift. And Christian, we cannot afford to neglect the gift of God, as the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Timothy, we cannot afford to, to let our lives remain in their dormant state. We cannot afford to continue quenching the Holy Spirit of God. There's a world out there that needs to see Christ in us. And there's a church full of people that need to be ministered to by the gift that God has given you. The truth is, what God has put you in this church to do for this church, no one else in this room can do. No one else can be the nose if you're the nose. No one else can be the hand if you're the hand. No one else can be the eye. God has put you in the body for a reason, and it is your responsibility to stir up the gift of God. Now, what I love about this passage is it gives us a beautiful picture of the church. Because every member of the body looks different. And how they minister is going to look a little different. Now, fundamentally, it's the same. It's glorifying Christ. It's getting to know Him. It's making Him known. But the specifics of that will vary. You have Paul, an apostle, a spiritual father to Timothy, his mentor. And you know, we need those kind of people in Metro Baptist Church. Some people who've been down the road, who've walked with God long enough that they can say, be followers together of me, even as I also am of Christ. We need those people in the church, but we also need some Timothys. We need some young men in our youth group and in our young adults who are willing to follow the godly example of people like Pastor Mackay and Pastor Odom who've been down the road. We need Timothys that are willing to simply follow. But then also here we have two godly mothers. Look in verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. How did Lois and Eunice, how did they impact Timothy's life? How did they pass on their faith to him? Well, you read in, in chapter 3, verse 15, it says, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. His godly grandmother and his godly mother taught him the word of God. 
And we know from the book of Acts that Timothy's father was not a saved man. He was a Greek. He wasn't a Jew. But because he had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, he took the baton from the apostle Paul and kept preaching the gospel to the known world and passed it on to others who all the way down the line passed it down to us all because there was a godly mother who took her responsibility seriously. And I wonder tonight at Metro Baptist Church, God has gifted and equipped every mother in this church to fulfill the same ministry that Lois and Eunice fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit has given you everything you need. And in this book is everything you need to guide your children in the way of God. And I wonder where the Loises and Eunice's in our church who will look at your children as more than just children who need to graduate from high school and go to college and get a career, but as little Timothys, people that God wants to use to change the world. And I wonder where the Loises and Eunice's at our church who get serious about raising their children in the scripture. Parents, we've got to understand, mothers and fathers, that it is the responsibility of parents to raise their children in the word of God. It is not the responsibility of a Sunday school teacher. It is not the responsibility of the Metro Baptist Learning Center that we're about to start. In fact, the, the, the motto or the mission statement for the Learning Center will be this. Metro Baptist Learning Center exists to assist parents in educating their children and bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Assisting them, coming alongside them, not replacing them, because no one can replace the work of a godly mother or father. No one can do what you can do at home. We only have your children for about an hour at Sunday school or teen class, and you have them all week. And parents have to take seriously the responsibility to teach the children, their children, the scriptures. And don't believe the devil's lie. Uh, that your role is insignificant. If you raise children who love God, you will end your life with no regrets because that is what God has called you to do and there's nothing more noble than that. You also see in this passage, you've got preachers, the apostle Paul and Timothy. You've got godly parents. And then you have this man, Onesiphorus. And this man simply fulfilled the ministry of ministering to his preacher. Look with me at verse 16. He says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, the day when the Lord Jesus is rewarding the saints. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. It has been said that every child of God has been called to either pastor or to help a pastor. And I could not agree with that more. And here we see a man, we don't hear anything about him preaching. We don't hear anything about him teaching a Sunday school class. All we hear about him is that he ministered to the man of God. And, and he supported Paul in what he was doing. That was his ministry. And I'm so thankful that we have a church full of people that, that, that minister to our pastor, that labor so that when he shows up on Sunday morning, he just has to preach. And I'm so thankful for all your labor that allows him 
to do the job that God has called him to do. So Christian, it, it, it's going to look different for everyone in the church, but God has given you a job to do. And are you exercising the gift of God to fulfill that ministry? Finally tonight, if we are going to live lives with no regrets, we must endure by the power of God. Endure by the power of God. Verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You know how powerful the power of God is in your life? Read verse 10. The end of verse 10 is speaking of Christ. It says, He hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now listen. Your flesh and my flesh is mortal. It's weak. The, the commands of Scripture, we are incapable of obeying them. We are incapable of fulfilling these ministries that we are called to in our flesh because we're mortal and we are weak. But guess what? The Lord Jesus Christ who lives in you by His Holy Spirit is immortal. He has no weakness he has no deficiencies. He cannot be defeated. He cannot die. And when you and I get a hold of the fact that that Lord Jesus, the immortal Son of God, lives inside of us, we can endure afflictions. And we can press on when things get tough. And when we're tired and we're weary and we feel like giving up, we can truly believe Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And it's high time that the people of God in this church have a can-do attitude. What God calls me to do, I can do in the power of Christ. We read in this passage of some folks that did not embrace the will of God, or at least they didn't continue to embrace the will of God. They didn't exercise the gift of God, or at least they stopped. And I believe it's because of this last point, they didn't endure by the power of God. You read in verse 15 of two men who no doubt ended their life with the most awful kind of regret. Apostle Paul says, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Phygelus, that name means fugitive. How appropriate that this man abandoned God's will for his life. He abandoned the Apostle Paul. We don't know all the circumstances, but we know enough to understand that when the going got tough, when the Apostle Paul was arrested, when there was persecution, these guys quit. Why? Because they weren't relying on the power of God. And Christian, if you and I are not relying on the power of God, when things get rough, when things get tough, we will quit. But let's not be like these men who gave up on God's will for their lives, who quit stirring up the gift of God, who didn't rely on God's power. And let's follow the example of the Apostle Paul, of Lois and Eunice, of Onesiphorus. In this passage, Timothy's faced with a choice. Is he going to abandon Paul? like all the other people in Asia? Is he going to take the easy route? Is he going to base his decisions on what he sees right in front of him on the temporal circumstances? 
Or is he going to believe God? And is he going to believe with the Apostle Paul in verse 12, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Christian, do you want to finish your life with no regrets? The number one, embrace the will of God. Wake up every day realizing that I am a vessel through which God wants to work that I am the Lord Jesus ambassador. I am not my own and live every day to represent him. Exercise the gift of God. Don't be lazy about this. If we're not reading our Bible and praying every day and active and soul winning, let's stir up the gifts of God. Let's get with it. And when the going gets tough, let's endure by the power of God, knowing that the risen Lord lives inside each one of us. And though we are mortal and though we are weak, he is immortal. And we can finish our lives like the Apostle Paul and say, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and you want what's best for us. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in all of our lives, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't live for less than, than, than all that you intend for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to approve things that are excellent, to embrace your will, to stir up the gift of God within us, and to live by your power each and every day. Lord, please bless this brief invitation we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If God has spoken to your heart, would you take a few moments to respond?